If you haven't signed up for our Discord channel, please do so at MajorDomaMedia.com. We have a growing list of users. We only promote it here on this podcast. Uh, a great way of engaging with uh, sometimes like-minded individuals, sometimes people that make fun of us. Uh, currently, they're just teeing off on Ying, calling him terrible things. Uh, motherfuckers. But <laughs> let, him, let him be. Let him be. Uh, a lot of ways to... Live your life a little bit more deliciously, lots of how-tos, lots of where to eat, what to eat, how to cook things, and we have great discount codes for Cometeer Coffee, the coffee that changed my life, and everybody else around me, Athletic Brewing, the non-alcoholic beer of choice. It is the best. It just wins every award possible, uh, even versus fully loaded beers, and um, all any day cookware. Uh, we're working on something. It looks pretty cool. And uh, all things Momofuku. It's shop.momofuku. You can visit us there or go to a local grocery store. Hopefully they carry our product. The Targets and Whole Foods do. Our noodles, our chili crunch, etc. Go check that out. All things Momofuku. Stock your pantry with our items. And uh, let's get on to the show. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thank you, Yola Tango. Um, I was just telling Chris Yang that uh, buying stock, I'm buying as much stock as humanly possible. The gi- g- big giant blocks in physical 100. Uh, by the time this podcast airs, my prediction, it will be the number one show in the world. <laughs> um, that's my prediction. It probably might be already. I don't even know. Uh, I couldn't sleep last night because I was coughing my fucking lungs out last night. So I just turned it on and I woke up my wife and we watched it. And it is pretty good. It is pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> so that's it. That's my prediction. And the weird thing is it takes a lot of themes that we've been working on, but takes it for, for the TV shows that we've been sort of making. But what's crazy to me is we've come up with some of these ideas and I won't reveal too much, but we've been told, no, it's mm-hmm. too crazy. Mm-hmm. This show is taken crazy to a wholly different level. It's great. Should we just be trying to make shows in Korea? Maybe that's the mistake. <laughs> it's like we're trying to make shows in the wrong it country. Fucking insane. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Dave texted very early this morning to say it's the greatest show ever. I watch Korea is a crazy place. My wife <laughs> keeps on wanting us to go, but you know when I live there, um, people—I wouldn't say vanity, 
is a negative thing per se, but Koreans are really taking pride in their appearance hmm. as a culture. You think it's a new thing? I, I feel like this was... You this watch is... Singles Inferno and things like that, but it wasn't always this way, hmm. I think. When I... Again, in the 90s, Korea was still developing, which is crazy. Okay. It wasn't, but it it's a completely different place when I lived there. I lived there in 1995. Yeah, very different no, place. No, no. Yeah, 95. Holy fuck, I'm old. <laughs> um, very, very different place. When I was there in gymnasiums, not only in Korea, but in in uh, Osaka and Wakayama, mm -hmm. smoking lounges <laughs> on each floor. The goal of working out was oh. to not break a sweat. <laughs> now, I'm not even kidding you. Right. You want to work out without breaking a sweat. And they would have these weird contraptions of, um, you know, they would just like jiggle you. Yeah, I remember this. My, I, I had a, a friend's mom who, do people not know of this machine? It's just you stand there with like a belt around you and it just like, <laughs> just like vibrates your And belly. I would see dudes just <laughs> jiggle, 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 and then put a towel over their head and then go smoke a cigarette right. in the lounge. Because, you know, it's a vertical. You know, you have little gyms on each floor. <laughs> Clearly, that's not the case anymore. Wouldn't it be awesome uh, if like losing weight were as easy? like God? What a, a dream would be! Just like I stand at a machine and it jiggles my belly. Jiggle, jiggle, I, jiggle, I jiggle. Lose a bunch of weight. Man, these 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 Korean people are shredded. I just and so, I was like, Grace, they're all on. They're not natty. They're all on juice. And then she's like, No, it's illegal. They're definitely. All, I was like, Come on. <laughs> How are they waking up at four thirty in the morning? You know, my my New Year's resolution. I have been getting up at five in the morning every day. You Even, it off? Uh, my alarm is set at five. I've yet to get out of bed. <laughs> you've been you've been awoken at five o'clock. You haven't gotten. Up I at think five. about it for two hours <laughs> until Hugo starts screaming and I have to get him up. I'm. Tr I just need to do it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, do you? But but this show. This is nothing to do with this show. This show is. Uh, just check it out. I, I I'm buying a lot of stock into this. It's crazy. It's a crazy fucking show. Well, I'm down. I feel like we're, we're we're like divorced. We have divorced parents between Hulu and 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 Netflix. <laughs> and you just, you just like if I promote one, I think the other parent's gonna get fucking mad. Right. So I don't know what to do. But basically, you just if spent I promote the, Hulu, we promote Hulu shows. I'm like, oh fuck! You just spent the weekend at dad's, and you came back to mom's, and you're like, dude, mom, dad got a, a yeah. fat jiggling machine. We gotta get one. Of I these. know. <laughs> Bob Iger's back. He doesn't like us talking about it. Um, dude, these these dudes are ripped. And the women, too. It is great. It's just, it's men and women in the same... Okay, I'm not going to spoil it. Just Well, well here's today. the crazy thing. This is how... I can't even believe I'm going to make this come full circle because I had no intention of tying anything together today. Uh, we have a guest today, Matt Higgins. Um, he, he's wrote a book, uh, Burn the Boats. Well, we may talk about a variety of things, but what I wanted to talk about today is how do you identify someone that's going to be a winner? Hmm. You know, in this physical 100, there's 100 physical specimens. The people that you think are going to win, it's a little bit like Survivor, too. When you see these game shows or you see hmm. these contestants, everyone judges. Everyone judges. That's mm -hmm. what we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're going to win. Could be a beauty pageant. Oh, they're going to win. What I love about humanity is when the person's not supposed to win wins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Brock Purdy. Like Brock Purdy. Who yeah. I dislike intensely because he's so cocky. 
But I love that he's the last pick in the NFL draft. Mr. Irrelevant. I love that he's got swag. And I love, I, I, I have to pathologically root for the underdog. Yeah. They've had Trey Lance. They've had Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, I love Tom Brady not because of TB12. I love him because his entire career, even when he was in Michigan, he had Drew Henson. He had to split the time. No one believed him. I, I love it. I love it when people that aren't physically as gifted as everybody else find a way to win. Right. Are you seeing like the the, the people among these physical specimens? Are you are you have you identified an underdog? I have no idea. Mm. I, that's 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 what I. Who knows? I, in, in, in one way, that's why I don't love sports so much, which is why I love Nikola Jokic, because he was a second round pick and he looks like a schlub, but he's a genius. Right. I, I actually do love Draymond because he was a second round pick uh, on the Golden State Warriors. I love the players that don't fit something and they sort of fall through the cracks. Right. To me, that is what gives me life in a lot of ways. And I was wondering, how do you feel about that? And how do people in general feel about that? Because do people really root for the underdog or, 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 or is it just in, is it a platitude? I think, I think there's different personality types. I'm, I am generally not, I would say like, I love an underdog story. I love watching an underdog succeed. It's hard to cheer from, for me, it's hard to cheer for an underdog from day one. Like I wouldn't have cheered. Like no one would know who Draymond was if he hadn't won whatever. Four well, championships. like, Everything everywhere at once. Underdog. Yes. Made on a low budget. Yeah. And now it's becoming, it's crushing. Yeah. Underdog. Yeah, it helps to cheer for like a movie with Asian people. (laughs) (laughs) But I think part of it is reevaluating what we think is good Mm -hmm. in general. And I, again, you, always using food as a benchmark. You know, I just saw the James Beard Awards. Outstanding restaurant semifinalists. Faselka. Fucking amazing. Yeah. They're not just shoved off in American classics anymore. Mm-hmm. You're getting out. What's good is good. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is what is preventing us from judging or valuing something that actually works, which is, again, to me, American pragmatism is a philosophy, how I interpret it, as collecting data in a specific time and place presently so that it works for you. That is what is most truthful. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, if that is what works, why are we always beholden to previous ideas? Right. Right? Yeah. Do you find yourself... Okay, so in, in the cheering for the underdog uh, dynamic, do you find yourself cheering against the favorites? Sometimes no. Yeah. But I guess part of the conversation is, how do you identify who's going to work? Because I think more often than not, not I, I don't know what the statistics are. It's. I think it's a rarity that when someone is physically talented, mentally gifted, right. like the full package, that they wind up being successful. I think that it is a burden to be so gifted that you wind up becoming something like a Todd Marinovich or a Ryan Leaf. I'm giving you guys random, now definitely in 2023, obscure sports references, but um, or in golf, like Anthony Kim. Right. Uh, again, another obscure... I, I don't. I, I live in a world of sports, but it's right. it's very hard to actually be LeBron James. It's very hard to be LeBron James. It's so the thing that you're the task that you're trying to accomplish is is very difficult. It's always easy in hindsight to be like, oh, of course this little guy made it. Like it turns out that he has this relevant experience and was is, was perfectly crafted for this. I remember 
when I used to watch American, not American Ninja Warrior, I used to watch Ninja Warrior, the original Japanese one. It was never like the guys who looked like the super ripped who would like succeed at like, you know, the final stages of Mount Midoriyama. It was always that one older looking skinny dude who just like crushed the competition. And then they did like a bio package on him one day. And they're like, he's a fisherman. And all he does all day long is climb up and down these masts, like all day long. You're like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like, it's hard to identify, though, that like, why would you know that a fisherman's going to be great at this thing? But, but what matters that, though, is are you trying to peacock your skills or are you trying to actually win? Right. And what is most useful, right? Right. Developing skills that are most useful. It doesn't matter if you're a quarterback and you're like super ripped and you're Adonis. Right. Like gym people talk about this all the time where it's just like there are show muscles and they're like functional muscles, right? Like if you're just, if you're working out for show, you're not going to be the best athlete. You're not going to, if you're working out for like a target, like I want to be better at this thing, this activity, this sport, like you're going to do better and you might not look good. I mean, again, this is the opposite of Malcolm Gladwell because there's zero research that goes into this at all. But I, I bet you that there's a significant percentage of people that are quote unquote successful mm-hmm. that were not in the genetically superiorly gifted with everything at their disposal. Right. It almost never happens. And now I'm thinking that maybe that's a curse. Mm-hmm. It's not what you want to be. How much of it has to do with goal setting? Like the person who's not naturally gifted sets a specific goal for success chases for chases after something as opposed to I'm gifted. This is where it gets into the Korean Han mm-hmm. struggle is important. Yeah. And it's, 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 everyone has a choice, right? Uh, not, that's not true, but you, you can maybe potentially shift things in your favor and, 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 and put the percentages, percentages in your way. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say you have a choice. There's a lot of people don't have a choice in that regard, but I don't know. Like, being really talented at something more and more to me is not a blessing. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I'm, I'm asking about like the goal thing. Cause I, I struggle with this and you and I have talked about this over the years. Like I struggle to set the right kind of goal, the unachievable kind of goal. Like I, I, I the one that like can only be achieved over like a lifetime, you know? And I feel like if you're gifted with talent, you actually don't set unachievable goals because things are within reach for you. And that's what makes it harder, right? If I'm like a scrawny dude and I'm like, I'm going to become a professional athlete. Like I'm going to work on my game so much. I'm going to develop skills. I'm I'm undersized Steph Curry and I want to set specific skills that play to my strengths and I'm going to try to get there. That's different than like, I'm 6'8", I'm super muscular, I'm athletic. Well, I think it's not the goal. It's a long tail goal where, you know, we've had Angela Duckworth on this podcast in the first year or so, and uh, David Epstein with range. So grit and range are two great books. And those are two qualities that are probably not uh, part of the calculation of predicting success. And and I think you can over-index mm-hmm. to that as well, where it's almost like a judging baseball player, where it's only analysis and data and no more eye test. Right. So like, I, I don't know, because I think having that long-term goal is important because it keeps you getting up every day. Right? And I, I tell younger cooks or people that are starting to open up their business, your goal, not your goal, but you're going to wake up and there are going to be moments throughout the day where you just want to quit. You're going to feel broken. Physically, you might be broken. 
spiritually, you're going to be broken. Mentally, you're going to be broken. And you need to have the somehow find the conviction to piece yourself, glue yourself back together. Mm-hmm. But the the sick, sick twist in that is you're by the time you piece yourself back together, you're going to break yourself apart again. Mm-hmm. And you got to do it over and over and over again. And I, I just, you know, with Brock Purdy or even looking at <clears throat> physical 100, and I have no idea who wins. It's just interesting to me is you never actually can tell. And mm. yet, as a society, we still don't know. Mm-hmm. And we see this, whether it's investing in the stock market or corporations or, you know, we're talking about Netflix. Nobody bet on Netflix when it started out. I tried to. My dad wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> you know? And where's Blockbuster now? Right. And you see this time and time again mm-hmm. um, until things shift the other way. Um, you, Steph Curry is a perfect example. Granted, he was a top six NBA draft pick, and his father was an NBA veteran. Yeah, not exactly a total underdog, but in some But not ways. an underdog. He went to Davidson. He wasn't, you know, it, it, it takes people to shift people's perceptions. And now we have people that look at the NBA in a completely different way. Yet, I personally, and I, I'm sure you are and everyone else listening, is still stuck in that paradigm of judging things in a traditional manner. And that's basically what I'm wanting to talk about is... Why do we revert ourselves back to uh, a very closed-minded system of judging who's going to be good? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a terrible predictor of success. Right. I mean, it's just, <laughs> like... Like, best new chef. Right. He's a fucking terrible predictor right. of success. If you look at the James Beard or Food and Wine or whatever, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's much smaller than actually what people claim to I mean, to, to some be. extent, like, I thought about this, too. I thought, like... Heisman Trophy, kind of a bad predictor of like major success in the NFL. Like, but I understand that that's a what's important to college is very different to a pro team. Yes, you can be a different, you can be like built differently and succeed in the in college than in the NFL for sure. But I mean, I hear I hear what you're saying. It's it's so so. I'm watching this and I was like, oh, this MMA guy is going to win, and this guy's going to win, and, and, and I'm wrong, 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 wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm, I'm just saying I'm guilty of being closed minded, even though I think that I have an open mind, I'm guilty of reverting back to whatever this default setting that I think has been ingrained in us in society that you got to be big, strong, masculine, or like have some kind of skill set that is, is, or, or like, I don't know, just like the things that we've been taught win, Mm -hmm. but they never actually do. Is that true though? I mean, they win overall. Like they they net out to win. Like the, the the underdogs are still surprises. Well, that's what I want to say. Is 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 my perspective on this so warped that I'm thinking that it is a majority, and you're saying this is a small minority of what I'm talking about. The underdog wouldn't be special if the underdog always won. That's the thing. It's it's not it's not the case that the underdog usually wins. Just look at Vegas. <laughs> like they they know who's going to win, who's likely to win. What makes the underdog special, and what makes the stories you're talking about special, is like. Why didn't we see that? Why didn't we see that this person, this team, this why didn't we see a two, 2016 it? Leicester City? Yeah, why didn't we see that? Because it was the best team, right? And they smoked the entire Premier League, right? And they had Conte, yeah. Who that's why they won, yeah. Right? Yeah. They Who's won. like maybe the the best defensive mid- midfielder of our generation? Yeah. And it wasn't, and it wasn't because, and it wasn't even because the other teams were underperforming. They just like had it. And nobody saw it. Like, what was that? It was like 2,000 to one or something. But my point is, like, 
every other season, it's Manchester City. You know what I mean? Like the underdogs are few and far between. And everyone thought that that was impossible. So does Tom Brady become successful if he was the first draft pick in the NFL? Because yeah, you know what? I would say yes. Because then Peyton Manning was, and he was. So it it does happen. Yeah. Well, what's what I thought about with like Brock Purdy or whatever is like, I mean, who knows how Brock Purdy will shake out? I I have no idea if he's going to become like a real legit quarterback. But how much of it comes down to opportunity? Right place, right time, right system, or coach, or even born. just a chance. Yeah. Are there like tons of people who could win? Who just don't have the chance. I think about that all the time in relation to my own life. Yeah. Just getting a shot. I genuinely think if I was, when I was cooking, say for Marco, mm-hmm. I, I was developing as a cook on Saturdays and in lunch. And I wanted to work there because I could cook everything. Certain people saw, but you know, he would come in at noon. All of the good things I was doing was happening in the morning. Like I, when I judge this in cooking, and I, and I want to get this back into a realm that I think I have more proficiency in rather than just being like an armchair fucking quarterback. I have found that the it is almost the very, very, very best line cooks. When I say line cooks, the people that have the sickest techniques, they're just gifted. They're faster. They see things. They anticipate calls and orders and mm-hmm. pickups. They're just feeling the flow. Like in anything else, they're just more naturally talented. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about this before, but I think it's important to say that they, in my opinion, rarely turn out to be great chefs. Mm -hmm. They turn being a great cook does not mean you're a great chef. And the reason why they don't become a great chef, and that's not true. There are great, 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 great chefs that are great cooks. I'm just saying to me in cooking, the best chefs were not the best cooks per se. That's a different ratio. And it's because it's a little bit similar to sports in that end because sometimes like Herb Brooks, the coach for the U.S. national hockey team, mm-hmm. was didn't got, got cut. He wasn't a great hockey player. He was a good hockey player. Mm-hmm. And I think that suffering, that struggle caused him to think. It caused him to obsess about the sport of hockey and the hows and the X's and O's. And I think because I got passed over, you know, Everybody wanted to get promoted, and I got passed over. I was like, oh, shit, I got to work harder. I got to do this. I got to do more. Yeah. I. So the one thing I would push back on that, I, I don't want to discount the drive of the person who's naturally gifted. Here's what I think might. Yes. Yes. A lot of people get passed over. They develop this grudge that drives them, right? Like Draymond can name every single player in order that was drafted ahead of him. Like that drives him in that way. I don't necessarily think he has a greater motivation to succeed than the person who was picked number one, number two. But when you don't have the natural gifts and you do get passed over and you get cut from the team and you're Pep Guardiola, whatever, who's like a good soccer player, but not messy level, you've got to find other ways to succeed, right? Like you have to understand the game in a different way. Like I'm never going to be faster than this guy, but if I think about it, I don't have to be faster. I have to get there quicker. I got to be smarter about it. I got to find skills that will get me ahead where I don't have an edge. Like that to me is as big of a part of it as like, the pure drive. And and that's why I don't know that really the age range, uh, the, the the lowest level age range we have, but I know that because I've been in these situations and I'm sure wherever you're at, whatever you do, whatever work that you do, you're probably thinking, I'm not as good as everybody else. I'm not as good as this person. I'm not sure. I certainly felt that way. And it feels that I've learned more and more people feel that way. 
this is where I become an extreme optimist. And it's almost my Achilles heel to believe that you can have some agency if you just throw yourself at it to be better and, and, and to just em- fully immerse yourself in that situation. You can find a way. Now, win isn't it, but a mastery of what it is. And, you know, it's, it's knowing what you don't know and, and leaning into your strengths, et cetera. Um, but I, I find like when I talk to anybody that's starting an endeavor or people that are cooks or, or it's always, oh, I'm not good at this. I can't be that. Mm-hmm. Or I look at somebody and, oh man, they could totally kick my ass. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel that it's such a, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy hmm. um, because I just believe somehow, and it seems to be ineffable for me, that if you just obsess over it and think about it in a way that no one else is thinking about it, you will find an advantage. Does that sound crazy? So if you are struggling to, to, to get ahead in whatever field you're doing, I'm basically trying to say, like, don't fret. Like, this, this part of where you're in is actually fuel. Mm-hmm. You just have to see it as such. Mm-hmm. I think it's fuel emotionally. I mean, you know, we, we when we had Lucky Peach, we adopted a certain visual style. This is like the McSweeney's way of doing things. We adopted a certain visual style that has now infiltrated all of food media. Like the way that we made the magazine look became like the standard. But it was because we didn't have any money. We didn't have a photographer. We didn't have any way to do it otherwise. So like, yes, drive to succeed. Yes, you can't just be like, well, we don't have the resources, so we can't do it, right? But just saying, okay, we don't have food photography. We don't have a food budget. We don't have a studio. We don't have any way to like take nice pictures of food. We do know all these illustrators. What if we just tried something different? Well, you know, that's what I'm asking myself now is we, we as a culture... At least I do, because we're Asian, American. We value Ivy League. I still talk about it because that was impressed upon me at the earliest age, as it was you, which is why I can joke because that never would have happened even if I did apply myself. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's like a harbinger of success. No, for sure not. I would never want to say I went to Harvard. That's a fucking terrible curse. That's <laughs> why so people say I went to college in Boston. Yeah. Because so so this is this is a good point. This is this is interesting because I think there's and I don't want to generalize. Like obviously, obviously people who go to Harvard are very fucking successful, but when you do, it opens doors and it opens the first door generally. Well, like what you're talking about is like if the first door doesn't open, you got to find another door and another door and another well, door. You know, like Matt Matt's going to join and we we taught a class at Harvard Business School, me and Marguerite, and you know. I don't even know if I, I wrote about this or I spoke about this, but, you know, I, I, I've had people that have worked for us in the office that are saying, hey, I want to, you know, I've worked a couple of years. I want to go apply to Harvard Business School. And they do it. And I always question is like, why? And listen, if I could get a Harvard Business School, I would probably go too. Mm-hmm. So uh, take this not with a grain of salt, but under, I, I hope you, I'm not trying to diminish it at all. But, and I'm using Harvard Business School, Harvard, or any kind of institution that is a, a badge of excellence, is it actually needed? Or does it just open doors? Or is it actually um, work against you? Um, and, and I'll give you this as an example. It's just one example. This is not an in-depth case study. We were interviewing someone for a C-level position years ago, and this person went to an Ivy League school, was a 
gold medal baseball player, worked at all the financial institutions and worked just the most impressive of resumes. I would have killed to have had his job. I would have killed to be him Mm -hmm. at any point in his life. Mm -hmm. But when it dawned on me, he was interviewing for a job because he had worked on something that didn't work out. And I was, it, it wasn't a job per se, but I'm trying to explain stuff without revealing too much. He had only navigated, he was, he, he left Harvard Business School. He did go to Harvard Business School and he wanted to be an operator. He wanted to run a business. So mm-hmm. that's what he was doing, but it failed. And he raised a ton of money and it failed. And I was like, man, how did this guy fail? This guy has only, he's never failed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Everything this person has ever done, he has excelled at. Won a gold medal. Won best. What is the number? Valedictorian. That would never happen. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time I could see that this failure was just crushing to him. And I wonder where he's at right now. Sometimes. I could look it up. I haven't. Um, And when I spoke to the people that worked for him, the drivers, the, uh, the, he, he, it was a food service business. The people that operated the business. Like, we didn't know how to talk to him. Mm-hmm. He didn't connect to us. Mm-hmm. He just he just knew how to talk to the people that were in that rarefied air. Yeah. But this person was trying to. He just didn't know how. So he had spent so much time in this elite, elite, elite circles that he didn't know how to talk to anybody else. I got a cousin that's trying to apply to colleges, and I said, you should, you should work at In-N-Out. Mm-hmm. If you want to be different, not different, niece. Mm-hmm. It's like, you should work at In-N-Out, work at McDonald's. Because yeah. at some point, she goes to a private school and everyone, it's impossible to get in college right now. Everyone's doing the same things. Yeah, They're doing sports, they're doing volunteer work, they're doing everything that's the same. They have tutors, like, you know, everyone's tiger parenting or, or parenting like Claudio Reña's kid. <laughs> and I'm like, why don't you try to be different? And I think that is where the, the, the people that are trying to sort of carve out a narrative, a trajectory that's a little bit different, that's how I try to take notice and I'll bet on that. I'll, I'm betting on that shit. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's going to be successful, but anybody that has a self-awareness to be like, and I think in order to have that self-awareness, you need to have the luxury to do that. Yeah. I, yeah. You have to have that luxury. But I, you know, I, as I, as I listen to you talk about this, like I remember applying to college and like I checked Every single box that you need to check. Like I had a 4.6 GPA. I took 15. You had 4.0? What was I had like a 4.5. Oh my God. I had, I took, you know, I aced every AP test I took. I did, I had, I was in every single club. I like my parents made me play every single instrument. I went to Chinese school. I played whatever sports. I did all the things you're supposed to do. I had no interest. Like I had no if you were like, what are you into, Chris? Like, you do all this stuff. I'd be like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm into getting into college, I guess. <laughs> so, like, that's my thing. As I hear you describe this, like, it, it rings, it, it, like, hits home for me. Because I don't think it's just about, like, carving out something different. I think it's about, like, pouring yourself into, like, caring about something. Yes. Well, and, and this is why I want to connect to the previous pod where um, we're talking about culture and information and knowledge all being on the same level. And why I'm optimistic that good things are going to come out of it, even though it seems to be pretty bleak, is because the only thing left is self-expression, mm-hmm. your own life. Mm-hmm. You, so if you can understand, if anybody listened to the last podcast, they didn't quite understand what I was trying to say. 
maybe this might make a little bit more sense. Chris did 4.5, which is insane, did everything you're supposed to do to get into college, right? But what did all the things, what were all the things? Can I, I did, I did every single club in the world. I did <laughs> chess club, future business leaders of America. I was the editor of the newspaper. I was in whatever, National Merit Scholar, National Honor Society, every single thing you could do. And can I tell you like just one more example of how this backfired? I mean, literally this happened. I applied to MIT and on the application, it was the first time I had encountered an application like this. It said like, here's a blank space. Here's your essay portion. Tell us something you find interesting. And I had nothing. I had nothing. I literally had nothing to say. I, had, I was like, I don't find, I don't know. I don't know what's interesting. I mean, I had interests. I like I had things I cared about. But when it boiled down to it, I couldn't be like, for the last, for my entire life, I've cared about this. I've chased after this. It's, it was everything was like to check off the box of like what success looked like. And, you know, to your point, it was like an Asian parent thing. It was like, do all of these things because like these are the requirements to get into school. And you're seeing a lot more Asian Americans make that choice to not become an academic, lawyer, banker, more creative arts, more actors, more writers. Mm-hmm. You chose writing, which is probably like that was a, that was a big leap, right? It took me two years well, of college and, and before I made this. This is a perfect example. of What I'm trying to say is the pattern. If you believe in patterns, uh, like I do, that can replicate itself in other forms of culture. If you're an Asian American, it's really hard to separate yourself because everyone's doing the same thing. How do you do anything different? Everyone's the same. And then when everyone looks at the playing field and everything's the same. You have someone like Chris Yang is like, well, I'm going to do something real fucking crazy. I'm going to become a writer. Yeah. And not only that, I'm going to do something more stupid. I'm going to focus on food. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say is I- I'm op- optimistic that, that like, even though I know that's the case, that we should take bets and encourage people to do something that is against the grain and the norm to do something that. They don't even know they want to do, but it's not what they're supposed to do. They are the deviation. They are the uh, aberration. They are the anomaly in their group, in their circle. But once that starts happening, everybody starts doing what they should be doing. Then it gets super cool. Mm -hmm. But even though I know that, I still judge in this most fucking antiquated notion. It's impossible not to, right? It's impossible not to. It's impossible not to see the tallest, most muscular guy and be like, that's the winner. That's the one right there. How do you, you can't break that. How do you break that? It's impossible. It's impossible. Right? I don't know. But it's, it's. I mean, part of it, to to tie it together with like other things we've been talking about the podcast, part of it is because like, you, if you only get a quick look, if all I ever, if the only piece of information I get is something I saw for a split second and I make a judgment on that, like, you can never see beyond it. If you don't, if you don't dig in, if you don't like get to see who these people are and the opportunities that are there beyond like what you saw on social media, whatever, you're never going to get to make the right call. You're never going to get to back the right underdog. I just think it's so important to follow what you want to do. And I think it's a total bunch of BS to know that what you want to do is feels good. Mm-hmm. feels fulfilling. It hurts. It hurts more than anything else. <laughs> Doing what you want to do is lonely, mm-hmm. extremely lonely, isolating, anxiety-ridden, desperation, feelings of desperation. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about you reading Russian novels alone in a rice paddy field as a young man, like, as you wanted to be in Japan. Like, it's pretty lonely. 
it's a it's a really and it's why Dave Cho and I say it's dangerous advice. But I don't think it's dangerous advice anymore. I think it's actually more and more dangerous advice to live in quiet desperation. Yeah. You know? And um it's only dangerous if you are promising success in what you are pursuing. Because half the time you won't, you're not gonna find success in the exact thing that you were doing. I don't know. I, I just find a lot of BS and a lot of platitudes about success. And when I think about the Asian American plight, when I think about things headed towards the same, there's no more. I, I do see I, I, the reason why I, I can bet on that is I know it's going to happen because it has happened in every other faceting culture. Everything is cyclical. I know it's going to happen. It may happen at a slower pace or a more rapid pace, but I feel confident that it's going to happen. I just want people to be like open to that idea and not be afraid because at the end of the day, the thing that has been, you know, something that I think about a lot because of my own mental illness is the thing that is actually the greatest we and, and a gift and a curse is like, you're going to be dead. <laughs> yeah. YOLO. I, I mean, we've talked about this before. I remember uh, I was, what was I debating? Whether or not to have kids. And you sent me the article about the dinosaurs going extinct. You were like, you can read for those that don't know, I legitimately have, I'm not just talking about doom and gloom about end of the world. I, I really do read all this shit. But you were li- like, I was like, what is he talking about? But you were literally saying to me, because I was like, it's going to be hard. I don't know. Should I, you know, only have so much time to do this. And you sent me this article about how just like life on earth, the dinosaurs were just walking around one day. And you're like, read this article about like the 20 seconds of what happened after the asteroid hit the planet. And you're like, that shit can happen anytime, dude. So you only have one chance to do what you got to do. And and like, I know that YOLO is a fucking cliche and it's old, but like that has driven me like pretty significantly. I mean, you know why that song by Eminem, 8 Mile is is so good? Because it's true. It's totally true. Yep. It's really, it is as true as anything. If you hear it, I always get chills because it's like, it's fucking true. Yeah. But, but, but why I say, you know, if you're listening to this and it's even remotely interesting to you, you should read David Epstein and, 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 the, and range that book is wonderful. And Angela Duckworth's um, book grit and, and like, we're going to have Matt and he's going to have his book where he talks about burning the boats. There's plenty of books out there. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, these are things that I have to talk about because I have to remind myself. It's like, okay. Well, and I think- I think We're doing this one with all this media stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I was just going to say is like, and we should, we should take a break here in a second. But I think that uh, I've always had trouble applying what you're talking to. You know, it's like you hear about, talk about Tom Brady and David Chang and like huge successes and the type of success you're talking about. Even like the, the guy who interviewed for like the C-suite job, like he's successful by most metrics. I'm sure he's- making a living doing something fine. And so it's hard maybe to to say like, oh, Dave's just talking about like mega success. But you can apply this to small things. Yes. Here's where I have to throw everything I say or put everything I said with a, a asterisk of a grain of salt. I don't know if this makes you happier. Yeah. Straight up. But my goal for my... So here's the thing, Chang. 2022, hard year. 2021, hard year. What I said to my wife for 2023 was like, I just want to feel like we tried really hard this year. I want 23 to feel like we left it all on the table. I don't know if we'll be happier, but I know that I was missing that feeling in previous years. Well, I think in, the reason why I think it for happiness is why I wonder that 
if I need to actually go down the eightfolded path, you know, and just fucking be a Buddhist. Because to me, maybe that is legitimately the only way. Right. I really, I really think so. It's the same thing. I know I should be a vegan, but I can't. I know I should be a Buddhist, but I can't. Well, that might be the hardest, that might be the hardest risk to take of all. It's like redefine your measure of success and define it by happiness. That's the one that that's the one that you and I are both afraid to take. I mean, I was doing that. <laughs> What's your legacy? I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I care about my kids. I want them to be happy. I want them to inhabit a world where it's not nearly as fucking terrible as it is today. I had and this, for other people, but like I had this same thought as I was reading Matt's book. It was like, what are the things you want? And I was like, honestly, these days just has to do with my kids. That's it. That's it. All right. We're going to talk to Matt Higgins uh, for a little bit. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Chris and I have been talking about success, uh, identifying who the hell actually (laughs) gets to win. Um, And we're with uh, my friend. He's an investor in Momofuku. He's also the co-founder of RSE Ventures uh, and the author of uh, his new book coming out. What's the date? February 17th? February 14th, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. It's a gift of love. Burn the boats. Matt Higgins, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Valentine's Day gift already sorted out here for all you people still looking. Burn the well, boats. Well, the, the narrative that I've been putting out, which I'm about to ruin, is that the idea is, is to give yourself the gift of self-love. It's actually because the publisher <laughs> randomly chose a date. <laughs> so, so hopefully we'll just keep that between ourselves. But uh, yeah, give yourself the gift of self-love. Well, uh, here, I got a question for you. So before you jumped on, Dave, Dave was talking about a show he's been watching on Netflix a physical competition and how he can't identify the winner just based on physical appearance. Are you somebody that if we looked at you when you were a kid would be like, that dude is pegged for success. Or are you like, were you not pegged for success? Are you somebody who you look at, you think that people look at and are like, that's going to be a success. As someone that, ha- that invests in people and you've had to objectively bet on you in, you know, fresh out of law school, would you bet on you? Uh, let, let me uh, let me narrow the question. Would it be in a sports context or something intellectual? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was I was a very I was just a, like I was life, a, life betting on life. Not specifically, not specifically. Is he going to make it in the NFL? But just in in life. All right. Uh, if I'm being honest, this sounds like a humble brag, but I was definitely that little kid growing up in poverty in the streets of Queens on government cheese, who people would say, you know, he could be the president one day. And what do you what do you think? You're looking at a young version of you. What makes you say that? I think I was born an old soul. 
and I was uh, around chaos. I mean, I grew up in a rent-subsidized apartment and lots of gang kids around and just, you know, dysfunction and chaos. And I guess I there was an always um, an otherness to me that I was of the environment among everyone, but not really present. And so I think that was probably a coping mechanism that we can get into for how I dealt with everything. But there was just a little bit of separation that people presumed meant destined for better than the Roach Motel that I was living in. So, <laughs> you know, we, we were talking about how to identify, right? And, and And Chris was saying how he didn't get into the colleges that he wanted to because he was doing everything that everyone else was doing. And he wasn't, he wasn't able to, to distinguish himself from the crowd. I, on the other hand, wasn't able to distinguish myself at all because I was terrible at everything <laughs> academically. Um, we, you know, you just hosted a, again, it's crazy. You hosted a, a whole series on um, business leadership classes and uh, what was the leadership class? What is the class at Harvard Business School that you taught? You know, you spoke at that class. Yeah, I know, but what was the the the, the name? You of should it? know the name of it. You tr- flew across the country <laughs> for it. You didn't say there was going to be a quiz afterwards. He doesn't. Right, right. not so, prepared. Okay. So for the audience, I just told you I'm a terrible student. <laughs> right, right, no, that's fair. Wonderful that's fair. teacher, so terrible just, student. Just for everyone listening, a reminder: this place is called Harvard Business School. It's been around a bit, and the course was called Moving Beyond uh, DTC, Direct to Consumer. That was the name. Now, the question I have is. And I know you've had HBS grads work for you. Why do we view that as a indicator of success and not anything else? You know what I mean? Like, what what is it about getting to your goals that gets sort of consolidated in HBS? Because I would argue that I try to tell people not to go to HBS, even though I, I admire it and it's great, and I hire people all the time from HBS. I still would, if somebody told me that they were applying and they decided not to go. They just went up in my book and I want to hire them. <laughs> well, well, can we can we frame that? Don't you wish you want to hear that they actually got the opportunity to go rather than just applied? It's like anybody could apply. Well, just, okay, or so no, they got in and they decided not okay, to they go. Got sure. in. Okay, they got or, in. Or, or, or on the other hand, I know they could get in and they're not even interested. I would tend to agree with that because <laughs> that so, would show okay. a degree of being self-possessed and they weren't chasing a credential. Let me, let me ask it to you this way because Chang was talking about how even though we celebrate the underdog, even though we love the story of the person who didn't go to Harvard, who who grinded and made it through sheer will and grit, it's still hard not to look at the person who has Harvard on their uh, resume and be like, that's the one right there. So you, you came up the hard way. You dropped out of high school. You went to Queens College. You didn't go to Harvard undergrad. Are you able, when you see an application for a job, are you, are you of all people able to be like, I can see past the big names. I can see past the Ivy Leagues and I can see something else. Or are you still I, like, I, oh, it's Harvard. I got to pick the I, I love kid. this question because I, I've asked myself throughout the years, do I have like a moral ethical obligation to try to find myself, you know, a or even just like, do you, are you able to overcome the bias of like, I like the big name Ivy League school? Are you able no, to like, no, a hundred percent not because. <laughs> I actually think that it isn't just a bias to presume that the person is successful, that the amount of work that it takes to get to that place, uh, it does actually separate. And while that's not, doesn't mean that the person is otherwise talented, but it does mean something somebody got there. Then why is it that there are graduates from Harvard that are not successful? Well, because success goes way beyond any of the 
any of the uh, technical skills, and we way under index assessing the intangibles. And in my opinion, self-awareness is a much higher proxy for ultimate success than a fancy degree. So, so that's it. That's, that's exactly it. So that's one of it. So how do you identify self-awareness? Um, I look for little proxies that I've been able to find over the years. And it's fun to talk about it even on the set of Shark Tank when you only have a few minutes to try to sift it out. But it's people who have the humility to acknowledge what they don't know or the confidence to say, I don't know this, but I know how to go find it. It's these verbal cues, I think, where people telegraph that they aren't afraid. Dave, you know, the first time you and I got together, I don't know if you remember, we sat at the bar co and we, we ate all night and drank. And you were talking to me, you used a baseball analogy, I think about, I don't, you know, I don't want to be the general manager anymore. Right. Like, I, you know, I, I, I want to be a coach. Uh, I think that's what you were saying. No, I want to be, you, I don't want to be a coach. I want to be the general manager. I'm sorry. You don't want to be a coach. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You don't want to be the coach. You want to be the general manager. And it's because you realize like, I'm not good at that. And that's not a good use of my skills. And I want to do what I am good at. Well, that's a proxy for self-awareness. So even in our first relationship, I was like, I can work with all your idiosyncrasies or mitigate your downsides. I don't have any idiosyncrasies. No, no, I, I got the bed. <laughs> no, I'm still looking for them, Dave, after all these years. But should one, <laughs> should one surface, <laughs> that, was, that was a way to signal you, how you over-index on self-awareness. And I think self-awareness is a greater predictor of ultimate success than a Harvard degree. Then why is it in our culture that is still not a predictor of success? We don't value it enough, even though in everything, all these books, everyone's talking about self-awareness well, and I, empathy. I think, I, I think two reasons. I think the robots are the ones making the decisions. They're the gatekeepers. And robots tend to under-index for EQ, if I'm being honest. The analysts- Who's a, that, what, what, who's a robot? <laughs> Define, uh, define a robot. A, a, a robot would be an analyst uh, who wants the answers to be in an Excel sheet at a McKinsey or something, uh, not picking on McKinsey, uh, who under-indexes for <laughs> EQ. And because they under-index for EQ, they overvalue you know, KPIs. And because it's very What's hard KPI? to- uh, Key performance indicator. David, you know this. I, don't, um, I actually had to be reminded. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> but my point being, it's very hard to develop an objective way to measure- um, self-awareness uh, and all these other sort of intangibles. And so they revert to the tangibles. And so that creates a bias towards you know the numbers and we're looking at the wrong thing. The worst deals I've ever done are deals where I draft behind a large private equity firm's diligence because all well, the numbers look great. We consulted you know 50 experts. We spent $250,000. Then I'll meet the CEO and I was like, did you notice he has no collar stays and the shirt is up and like the guy looks like he's ready to lose it? And also his employees can't stand him. Like, did you notice that something is wrong? And mm -hmm. and they didn't look. And I think we don't look because it's hard to look and it's hard to identify. So then can you be, how do you identify somebody that has none of those attributes? They didn't go to Harvard Business School. They're literally a needle in a haystack. How do you identify it? Because you must get thousands and thousands and thousands of pitches. How do you identify somebody that you're like, this is somebody that with some help, can become a diamond? Uh, I think there'll be early evidence of pulling off something extraordinary against the odds. If I don't see that early evidence in some context that they did something that I could imagine how hard it would have been to overcome, then it is very hard to spot that person. So I look for that, that case study, to be honest. And when I see that case study, then I start paying attention. Do you back a person who you see can develop into a diamond who is coming to you with an idea that's a piece of shit? Uh, I. Shitty idea, great person. What do you do? Sh shitty idea, great person. 
I am much more likely and willing to back that person. Great idea, shitty person. Yeah. And the worst decisions I've ever made are when I thought the power of an idea would eclipse the fact that it was a weak founder who, mm. who couldn't scale. Those are the worst decisions and I've done a bunch of them. But if now diamond in the rough, shitty idea, I won't back them because mm-hmm. now you're, it's too attenuated. Too many things have to go right. But a diamond in the rough with everything else, not a diamond, but a, but a, but a great leader, a great founder, a great person with a weak idea. I'm like, I trust that they'll iterate through their own crappy idea. Mm-hmm. But why self-awareness is important in that context is because if they have self-awareness, they'll be self-correcting. If somebody under-indexes for self-awareness, but they're a star, but that means that they're going to require interventions to make course corrections. Self-awareness scales really well from a leadership standpoint because you make your own interventions and you don't rely on an investor, a wife, a friend to say, hey, buddy, you're screwing up. You'll get there long before anybody else does. Hmm. And then I, how you... I, didn't, I didn't know we would go there so quick. I mean, oh, I, we go... <laughs> well, we, we're like, woof, we're going there. <laughs> no flirting on the Dave Chang show. Uh how do you how so so your your advice the thing that you're coming to us with and and you know I've I've actually you know I've read your Queens College commencement speech the book you've got here this is largely about like the other thing we're talking about not just self awareness but like I don't I guess self belief or just or determination or grit or not having a plan B basically what do you look for what do you see in like a Dave Chang that tells oh, you we like, don't have to answer, you don't have to answer that <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you look for when you, how do you how do you know that like having a plan B is is such a problem. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I and I I'm I'm using the we all know the the origin of the term burn the boats right goes back to military history. So I was sort of fascinated by why is it throughout the beginning of time every time that somebody's outnumbered in a military context when you're literally going to die the answer is always to and actually physically destroy your escape route right. So it goes back all the way to beginning of recorded history, numerous instances. So that always fascinated me, and I saw it in the context of the New York Jets when Rex Ryan gave this incredible speech. Uh, about, you know, Cortez, which I don't normally invoke as bad guy, but about this uh, idea of Cortez burning the boats in 1519. And I watched in that room how it catalyzed an extra level of effort from his players. So why is something like this coming up throughout history? And if you look at a lot of the studies that have been done, including one in 2014 out of Wharton, the mere act of just being told, hey, think about another way to achieve this rather than the hard way, it statistically, empirically is demonstrated that you are much less likely to succeed. Full stop, right? And people hate hearing that because you're being irresponsible, Matt. You're saying, you know, throw it, lose your job. What if I have to pay my rent? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there are these things in our lives, these metaphorical boats that prevent us from fully committing to our full potential. So it's not just about a escape plan or a plan B. It's about what are those things that prevent us from going all in on ourselves? And my book was an attempt to look at the common patterns across all these very successful people, starting with myself, about the internal and external obstacles that stand in our way that prevent fully committing. And for me personally, it began with shame, right? Shame shame weighs you down. Shame prevents you from being nimble. My shame was growing up in this dirty house, taking care of my mother, literally wanting to drive a car into a tree half the time of my early childhood. I was so, so desperate and self-destructive because I wanted somebody to come in and save me. And then eventually I constructed this secret life where I was wearing the Jordache jeans to date myself, guess, you know, Benetton, so that nobody would know how poor and how desperate I was. And I disassociated myself from my upbringing. I used to say to my mother all the time, she's like, why, why is the house like this? You know, and I'm like, cause I'm not here anymore. I left. I made a psychic break with my environment. And that's how I went from a 16 year old high school dropout to press secretary of New York at 26. However, the damage continued. 
And I and I had a shame from that secret upbringing and never letting anybody in, never feeling like I could trust anybody or rely on anybody. I couldn't become a better leader until I shed that shame. That's a boat that I needed to burn. So the boat is a broader narrative framework for this idea of things that hold us back. Yeah, you, if you, <laughs> Matt's life story is is uh, crazy. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's real crazy shit. <laughs> Sorry to go so deep no, no, right no, there. No, 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 but like you know. people need to follow it and, and read up on it themselves. But it's it's really crazy. Uh <laughs> from where he started to where he is, it's total crazy shit and amazing. Um, but I was I, I was hoping that the title of this book would be called the equivalent could really be. Unlock your success by embracing your Han. <laughs> I mean, the Han is real, Dave. We know this. We are. I didn't know. I didn't know. That's about actually the Han. how we really connected. I was like, "This is the first <laughs> fucking white guy that knows Han. He gets it." <laughs> Can you explain to everybody Han from a white person's perspective? <laughs> this is a great question. I, I from I have a maybe I have a culturally appropriate Dave proudly, but the, my version of Han is uh, this never-ending anguish over all things, uh, perpetually <laughs> tortured. You know, no, no real joy <laughs> to be extracted from victory. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. That, but I love that Dave. When I want to go down the paranoid rabbit hole, when things are good, it's like call Dave. Just like remind me, everything's bad, right, Dave? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The part you're missing. See, see the difference between the difference between the, the the outside appropriated white version and the Korean version is like the Korean version is no joy is joy. <laughs> so like you're forgetting the part like that. There is joy in having no joy. Oh, I, read, I, read, I read Buddhist books for that. I don't really. Well, it, it's true. <laughs> Whenever Matt is feeling too good, he knows who to call. Yeah. Bring him right down. Yeah. He bring knows Dave, how to act as Dave, the ballast in his life. Dave, do you remember we had the dinner with the uh, pandemic, right? As it was starting. And we were like, all these bad things we always thought about are actually happening. Maybe, maybe we weren't imagining it. Things are very terrible. So it was finally there was equilibrium. Oh, man, I, I I still think about that a lot. You know how many people in my life were like, the one time you had to be fucking right. Yeah. Right? We, were, we were at we were at Frenchette. Remember that downstairs? Yeah. We're like, I think things are going to get real bad. I don't think this is going to end in a few days. It was right at the beginning. It was the last meal you probably could have in New York at that yeah. moment. Chicken Little was right for once. The sky fell. Exactly. You got it exactly. right. Exactly. So can I ask? Do you feel that it is a necessity for not only success, but the people that you invest in or not even invest in just in life in general? Do you feel that if you haven't had enough suffering, which is why it's it's a, such an asinine thing to even say, if you haven't experienced some kind of hardship, can you be successful or, or a good leader? I, I do think you can, because I think there's no one in the world who hasn't experienced their own version of hardship. Right. That, that, that's like making a value judgment about what magnitude of hardship feels hard. I think everybody's had that. So, uh, again, I'm trying I try not to judge the world through my own prism because a lot of dysfunction came out the other side of what I went through. That took me years and years and years to recover from. Still is. So why would I want what's wrong with having a more a more typical life? And so I think everybody has their own version of hardship. Hmm. One of the remarkable characteristics of Matt is that. There are times where I've seen him stressed, <laughs> but even then, it's really hard to 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 get him frazzled. How is it that you remain calm? Because, I mean, I'm the calmest person around. Very calm. 
but no, I, I'm the furthest thing from it. But I, I've always marveled at when the when there are crises, there are like real shitty things and sh- crappy situations. You are very, very calm, and I think that is your one of your greatest skills. Um, great question. I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, I am actually a, a real introvert. I can't stand small talk. And I'm only happy when we peel back the subterranean layer of the universe, when we're telling me about your trauma, your recent divorce, whatever your pain and suffering is, your Han. Uh, and so when we're in a crisis, the world more matches the internal dialogue in my mind and where I choose to be. Two, when we're in a crisis, all the bad things I was anticipating finally happen. And there's a degree of peace that takes over me, but I feel I'm best able to operate in that environment. I think I'm more suited to operate in chaos than I am in, in stability. I've tried to not be an adrenaline drunkie. It's not that I'm drawn to it. It's just that is the um, that is the consolation prize of my upbringing. I mean, think about it. I was at 9-11 standing at the site within minutes of the second plane hitting the tower. And then I spent every day of my life for two years overseeing the rebuilding of the trade center. I've been to plane crashes. I've been to shooting, uh, shooting uh, mass casualty events. I've been everywhere. So I do feel like, you know, the universe crafted me to be in a crisis and three in a crisis, I value my empathy and how much I bleed for people. And so when somebody is in pain and suffering, it feels like where I was meant to be. So when you come to me, Dave, or somebody, and they're in pain, and they're in a crisis, it feels like the highest and best use of maybe my superpowers. Not that I'm like Mother Teresa or anything like that. It just feels na- it feels natural to me. Were you this calm when you were diagnosed with testicular cancer? Um, I went through two phases. One, I went through the phase, I used to call it zero time. I had testicular cancer, everyone listening, and I was only 32 years old, and I was still running from poverty at 26. My mother only died when I was 26. So I was 32, had this big contract at the New York Jets. This was my moment. And then I get diagnosed. I had a pain in my uh, right testicle. I thought it was something else. I ignored it. And then when you get diagnosed with testicular cancer, they're like, it's on. Like you're getting amputated tomorrow. I'm like, wait, that's an important part of my anatomy. Like, I want to sit with that for a second before we say goodbye to it. And like, you got to go. And I, I talk about this in a book. I used to think this was like so cool and tough of me. But when I got diagnosed, I um, all I cared about was hiding it from everybody else because it's a macho environment at a football team. And so I remember meeting my HR director on a random corner in New York so no one would see so I could change my life insurance benefits. And then I went in next day, had surgery, removed my testicle. I was released the following morning. The next night, I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to show up at, at this dinner with all the Jets coaches. and. I'm going to show them that I'm, I'm, I'm undefeated. I go into this room. Everyone's got wine kind of looking at me like he's here. I had a bag of ice in between my legs. Hard to miss. And, <laughs> I, and, then, and then I do. I say, I have a toast, everyone. I want to, you know, roll out my new model, my new motto. And it said half the balls, <laughs> twice the man. And I actually got it on a dog tag that I started wearing it. In fact, I put it at the end of my email addresses so people would leave me alone. I'm like, hey, I'm busy with cancer. So, you know, my answer to you, Dave, is one, I had a very um, dysfunctional response because I was insecure. Two, I, I, I called it zero time because suddenly, instantly, I'm now faced with the prospect of my mortality and everything I think about, including New York Times, real estate listings, everything, no longer held up juxtaposed against the imminent prospect of death. But once that was clear, and I three, four days later, I was originally diagnosed with stage two, and I had to get radiation for 17 days. To be honest, 
I started feeling like it was exceptional. Like, wow, I'm the only guy in America with a GED, a law degree, and one testicle. You know, I, I, I started getting really excited about having this category, and then I just started owning it. And I still feel that way. I feel like it was like a bad flu, and I'm kind of fortunate to be here. And I still got my dog tags. Half the balls, twice the man. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I mean, how ballsy is that? All right, now we got to ball. Literally ballsy. <laughs> one last question before we get you out of here, Matt. You know, you you get not only your story, but you get stories from extremely successful people from all walks of life. And one of the questions that we have here and that I brought up before you came on board is in the pursuit of going against the grain and doing the thing that you don't even know you love, right? And this, this misnomer or the misperception that doing what you love is pure joy and happiness. <laughs> I tell people it's no, it's not. That's a that's a that's just a lie, I think, for most people that I know, and I want to get your thoughts on this, that do this journey, it's extremely lonely, anxiety-ridden. For all the people that you interviewed and all the success they've achieved, are they happier because of it? Oh, great question. Um, I think <laughs> probably not, because doing what you love exceptionally requires you to care so much it hurts. Right. Like you feel this way. Right. I care so much. I, this book is killing me because I care so much. The publishing industry is broken. It's so inefficient. I care so much. I care to share these stories because I think to read my book is to leave you with a feeling of infinite possibility. I, I think I could change lives by getting this book out there. So I care too much. Somebody said to me the other day, are you having fun? I'm like, fun. Was this supposed to be fun? I have fun. Hmm. From my day, my friend Dave. <laughs> I don't have any fun with this book. <laughs> so, so the answer question, talking to everybody across, across um, the one thing they do have. I don't know if the word is um, joy, Dave, or happiness, but I do feel like they all feel closer to God or the whatever the, the meaning of the universe because they're getting closer to their full potential. And I think that's the thing all of us really do seek. What is my full capacity on this earth? I've got one last little thing. For somebody who is, I want Matt to prove his abilities to us to identify success. Work for the New York Jets, involved with the Miami Dolphins. We're recording this before conference championship weekend. Prove to me your, your ability to identify a winner. Who wins the Super Bowl this year, Matt? Not even a chance am I going to do that. No come way. On, come uh, on, no Matt. Way. Come gonna, on, Matt. Come on, you're going to look so good. You're going to look so good. I'd rather predict whether Bitcoin or Ethereum is going to be around in five years. You know, I'm going to do that for us, too. <laughs> wow, what do you think? Dolphins, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Dolphins or die. Dolphins or die. That is the number one rule in sports, by the way, is never say you're going to the Super Bowl. So it's like ingrained in me to not make such predictions. I'm so sorry. Can't well, give it to you. I thought we were going to get a Brock Purdy prediction. That's cool. Yeah, uh, there you go. Um, man, Matt's got some great sports stories. Some great yeah. sports stories. Yeah, I talk about, I know I don't share a lot in the book because it's not quite about that, but I do have one about Rex Ryan. Do you guys remember Rex Ryan? Obviously the coach of the Jets. Of course. And the, do, you, do you remember the scandal around the feet? Yes, of course. Right. One of my so, favorite scandals of all time. <laughs> by the way, me too, because if I try to explain it to somebody now, they're like, wait, I don't get the scandal. <laughs> yeah, like, like, what's the just, big deal? Just, just dude go likes with what it. he likes. Don't the yuck dude, his yum. The, the, dude likes feet, you know, and his yeah. wife's feet. And we, we talk in the book about, for those listening, the 30-second version, there was a fake scandal about how videos surfaced, maybe or maybe not, of Rex Ryan's wife, maybe of him fetishizing them. And it created this bizarre backlash on the front page of the Post like every day. And I talk a little bit in the book about the behind 
behind-the-scenes work with Rex Ryan and how how much it kind of affected him emotionally. Because uh, when you're close to it, it's your life. It hurts. And I remember saying, I walked into a room one time. Rex is there, and by the way, he was praying. And I'm like, Rex, you pray? And he's like, I do now. And then, uh, <laughs> and I I said to him, it still comes up when I see him. Rex, you got it all wrong. You are going to go on Oprah, and you're going to have a five book deal all about how to maintain the love of your life after 25 years. Because you to think that you're still fetishizing your wife, man, that's amazing. When I see him now, he always goes, there's Oprah. My point, Dave, to your question about why I like crisis, the impact I was made, I was able to make on Rex's life by being his friend at that moment in time and be able to step in front of the train with him, whatever it would take, like, I got your hand here, you know, still resonates a decade later. And it was bullshit. So it's, I like those moments when I'm like, wait, this is all fake. Who cares? No one's going to care. I love those moments. Matt's got some good wisdom. <laughs> nah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, I, I mean, I wish you the best of luck on this crazy time you're going to be on. I, it's not, journey's not the right word. No, it's a, it's the a ride. book thing is a whole other... Welcome to the weirdest show on earth. Yeah, the weirdest show on earth. <laughs> well, do you, Dave, leave me with one word, one word of wisdom because your book is amazing. So like, well, give me give me a piece of advice that I could take with me. Instead of don't write it. I already did that. Bring a lot of hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, what do you mean? I'm going to shake so many hands, man. <laughs> a lot of hands. A lot shake. of hand sanitizer. Get, get your autograph down. Yeah, I've been, I bought, I was insecure about that. So I bought these penmanship books for adults and I've been practicing. Really? Yeah, because I, because it's a long story, but I, I write backwards, you know, my, all my letters. And so they look like chicken scratch from when I was a kid. So I was like, I should undo that. So um, I actually don't write on the board at Harvard for that reason. I was like, it's probably time to break that. So I bought penmanship books. Whoa. That sounds crazy, this right? Dude, this dude is something else, man. He bought adult <laughs> penmanship books. Never I, I just tell people I've, I've recovered from a stroke. Um, yeah, when I, I, when I, when I went on Shark Tank because I slouch, I bought a little thing to zap my body every time I, I slouched, and I wore that for a month, so I would sit up straight. You got a you got an anti slouch zapper. He's his own tiger parent. You're <laughs> dude. I'm telling you, he's his own tiger parent. Oh my god. It's true. I was raised by wolves, so I'm sort of making it up as I go. Anti slouch zapper. Oh my god. All right. Yeah. All right. I guess we should listen to Matt. <laughs> um, burn the boats out. Valentine's Day, That's February fourteenth. Right. Uh, go get it. Give everyone a quick quick why they need to buy and read your book two sentences two sentences because i'm going to be the best friend that you never had that's going to validate everything you ever suspected about what's standing in your way and what you're capable of oh he did it shit (laughs) he did it that's That's amazing i would have been like "Ah, uh, it's good well let me still let me back up here i spent a lot of time on it i care a lot this is this is my life (laughs) the the, the cover the cover there were 412 iterations of that cover that i designed with my desire like this is my life amazing thank you guys thank you so much i appreciate it take care Um, well, that was Matt Higgins. When I was saying how fucking crazy his life story is, it is fu- it's really insane. It's yeah. insane. I mean, you talk. I mean, about- I know his brother too. It's insane. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, talking about hardships, he's like faced every every kind of them. So, and just um, you see that in his personality. Any anything that he can try to improve on, he will do, and it just is not. Um, 
Well, I like when you were like, how do you, how do you, what's your secret? How do you like stay calm? And he basically gave you the incredible Hulk answer. He's like, oh, my secret? I'm always angry. <laughs> um, but uh, Burn the Boats out February 14th. Um, go check it out. Well, anyway, guys, that was a, a fun podcast. I'm going to try to take some medicine and not get Chris Yang more sick than I have because uh, this is I am contagion. I am like the the R not one. <laughs> You're like pig pen in the peanuts, just walking around with a cloud of virus around you. Hydrate, my brother. Hydrate. Uh, give us five stars, six stars, seven stars. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, think outside the box. Thank you. <laughs>